You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Well, it's good to see all of you today. Steve said he almost called me yesterday. He wanted to make sure I was still on the earth. He said, Brother Jeff, you hadn't answered. He said, I might have been a little worried. They were showing um, over and over again on the news how many people had believed that yesterday was going to be the last day and, and the judgment day, May 21st, 2011. And, um, you know, this man in California, 89-year-old man who had made this prediction, made this statement, and had a large group of people. They were showing a man in, in New York City that had taken and liquidated all of his assets, over $140,000, had invested in posters and banners and things that filled up and down the subways in New York City in order to let people know that May 21st, 2011 was the last day, the judgment day, the day that the earth would come to an end. Uh, these people claim to be Christians. They claim to be uh, the church and speaking in the authority on behalf of the church. But in all honesty, you and I should have understood one thing. They were not speaking under the authority of Scripture. Because the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus said many will come in those days, in those last days. But Jesus also said this. He said, no man knows nobody. He said, not even the angels in heaven. He said, only the Father knows that. And He's not revealed it to anybody. And he says that the day will come like a thief in the night. Nobody will know. Now, I thought it was interesting that in New York City, where this man had taken $140,000, all his life savings, and had invested in that, in the posters and everything else, I thought it was interesting that as that time approached, he was there in New York City, and people were gathered around him, and they began to taunt and to jeer and to laugh and to make a mockery of him. I felt sorry for the man. Because I believe that his heart was genuine. But he didn't understand the scripture and he had been misled. And the outcome of that was that the crowd began to jeer. They began to make a mockery of him. They went on and on and on and on. Till finally it became so painful that I flipped the channel because I couldn't watch it anymore. When I flipped the channel... It was showing flooding and showing the weather, and it said, a bib- and this is the news main line. I don't know if it was NBC, ABC, or CBS, but as I flipped the channel, it showed the catastrophe in our own land, and it said, of biblical proportions. Tell you folks, it's, uh, this is a time for prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, Luke begins to tell Theophilus, his friend, as he's been chronicling the life of Jesus, and Jesus is now moving toward the cross, and he's talked about in chapters 9 and 10 what it takes if you're going to follow him. Then in chapter 11, something happens. His disciples come to him and they ask him a question. And I want you to pick this up, chapter 11 beginning at verse 1. It said that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John 
taught His disciples to pray. These disciples, listen, they had witnessed, they had watched, they had examined, they had seen Jesus live His life in prayer. They had watched His prayer life. They had seen the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. This was a constant in Jesus' life. He was always praying. He was always slipping off to be alone with the Father. There was a, this was habitual, this was regular, this was, this was something done every day, all through the day in the life of Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan said this, he said that he believed that, G, that the disciples of Jesus were inspired by his passion for prayer. I disagree. I believe that they were inspired by His intimacy with the Father. We need to understand that that Jesus here had the regular practice of prayer. It was a part of His life. It's what He did every day. And so these disciples begin to see this. They noticed it. Now, it wasn't unusual for disciples of a rabbi to be taught a prayer by the rabbi. So this was a fair question. I want you to look at something, because in Luke 9, 18, there's something I think that's uh, interesting here. Look at chapter, just take a couple of pages back. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. It said, once when Jesus was praying in private, I want you, does everybody see this? Let me give you a minute. Luke 9, 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private, and His disciples were what? Isn't that strange? It lets you see that this was a regular problem. Jesus, listen, Jesus would get up in the morning, he'd brush his teeth. He'd trim his beard. He'd make himself presentable. But prayer was a part of his life. It was something that he did all the time, habitually, ongoing. And it's interesting, it says here in 918 that he was praying, but his disciples were with him. This was the intimacy that he shared not only with his disciples, but with Jesus. Now in verse 2, now John's disciples had been taught a prayer to the degree that the disciples of Jesus had begun to discover or hear of it. So the disciples of Jesus say, listen, Jesus, just like John taught, we heard John's disciples praying a prayer. And I tell you, God, they have, Lord, there's something about their prayer, but there's something greater about your prayer. What is it? He didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily saying, teach us how to pray. They were saying, teach us to pray. And so in verse 2, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, or say... In other words, what Jesus is saying, I believe that there's a key here. Paul says it. He says you and I are to pray without ceasing. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus said men ought always to pray and never give up. Listen to this. Stay with me here. Everybody look this way. Jesus said men ought always to pray and never give up. Say that with me. Jesus said men ought always to pray and never Let's say that more than once. Look at your neighbor. Never, let's say it one more time to each other, never give up. 
So the disciples see this quality in Jesus. And when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're under the control of God's Holy Spirit, then we're going to find a level of intimacy, boldness, and ongoing relationship with Christ through prayer. Now Jesus said when you and I pray, now He gives a model here, He gives a guide, He gives a formula, He gives components. I remember when I was preaching a series on this model prayer. This is the equivalent of when, when a brother is going on his first date, when the guy's going on his first date, walks into his sister's room and said, listen, tell me what do I do on my first date? I mean, what, what do you do? I don't know anything about girls. Help me out here. And a sister says, well, I tell you what you don't do. She begins to tell him, listen, don't do this, don't do this. And, and we talked about this. Matthew says, you know, Jesus said, listen, don't use vain repetitious words. Don't get caught up in this and that. Jesus said, when you pray. But the sister would look at a brother and say, but I tell you, this is what you, if you want to have a good date and you want her to be happy, this is what you ought to do. So Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, the first word out of your mouth is what? Father. What he's saying is, it is a reminder to you and I that we are in an intimate relationship with a loving God who has chosen to reveal himself to us as his children, as a father. It is a reminder, it is a focus, that it, the focus of prayer is on who? It is on God. You know, sometimes I think that we think that it's focused on our problems. That prayer is focused on my problems. That prayer, prayer is focused on my needs. That prayer is narcissistic. It is self-centered. But Jesus said you and I are to focus our prayer on God. He is a sovereign, all-sufficient, omnipotent, omniscient God. So the first thing Jesus said is, when you pray, say, let's say it together, Father. Well, you, anybody ever listen to Jason Yarbrough pray? How does Jason Yarbrough address God? Dad. That's the way he'll start off. Hey, Dad, you know, Jason, when, Jason's supposed to be coming back pretty quick, isn't he? This week? June 13th. Be good to get him back, won't it? But when Jason prays, that's what Jason will say. He'll say, Daddy, Dad. And you may be uncomfortable with that. You may say, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. It kind of seems like it brings God down. My friend, that's exactly how Jesus told us to address God. Dad, Daddy, Father. And so he says here, the focus is on God. Now he goes on to say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, the, this is critical for you and I to understand that prayer is grasping what an almighty God can and can do. You see, I wrote down here in the corner of my Bible, I said, prayer is worship and worship is focusing on God. So I bow down and I begin to focus my life. This is the reason Jesus said you and I are to go into the closet. What he was saying is he's saying go somewhere, find some place, wherever it is. If you have to hide down in here, he said find a place, get alone, away from the distractions of the world so that you can put all of your attention and your focus on God. Prayer is worship. Worship is focusing on God. 
And so Jesus said, listen, Father, hallowed be your name. Now watch these next words here. Your kingdom come. In, the, in, the, in, the, in, in Matthew's account, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But one writer said this, Luke understood that if your kingdom comes, your will will be done. I was reading yesterday, last night, a book by Watchman Nee. I'd never seen this book before. Picked it up and began to read it. I bought it. It was on sale. And I was reading it, just sitting there. Sheila was busy. And as I was kind of looking at this book, I was thinking to myself, I don't agree with everything Watchman's saying here. But it was like God just said, keep, keep reading, keep reading. And I kept reading. And, and, and more and more began to come together and to make sense. Listen to what Watchman Nee said. He said, where you are, that's the kingdom of God. He said, where you stand, if you're His, that's the kingdom of God. That God is territorial. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all about territory. It's about land. It's about this earth. Sin took the title deed of this earth from God. But God took it back at Calvary through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the key is here, is that that classroom you may be teaching in, it, it's territorial. Sin has come in. Sin may have taken prayer out of school. It may have taken the Ten Commandments out of the school. It may say to the teacher, listen, you can't do this, you can't do that. But listen, Jesus said this is a territorial thing. When the teacher walks into the classroom, she's saying the kingdom of God is here. If you walk into your office, you say the kingdom of God is here. If you walk into your home, the kingdom of God is here. It's right here. It's right now. And God is going to use me in order to expand the territory of His kingdom. But it starts right here. Where I am, that's where the kingdom of God is. So He says here, thy kingdom or your kingdom come. This is the plan of God. Heaven on earth. And the plan is accomplished by the Great Commission. I want you to take a left and go over to Matthew chapter 20, 28. Matthew chapter 28. And I want you to see this in verses 18, 19, and 20. But we'll start at verse 16. In in this passage here, Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come. That's what we're to pray. Okay, now stay with me. Everybody look this way. Jesus is Father. Hallowed be your name. Okay, that's why you and I, you sit in a movie that has GD in it, shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's not hallowing the name of God. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. But how does the kingdom come? Well, look at, look at the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore what? Well, that was weak. Therefore? 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 Go, thank you. Therefore go and... 
make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is God's plan. That's how He advances the kingdom. If you and I are not involved in personal evangelism, we don't just simply go into an establishment and go, Hey everybody, I got an, I got an announcement to make. The kingdom of God is here. The key is the kingdom of God moving out from where you're standing. Now how does it do that? Somebody answer that so we move on. You see, this is the Great Commission. You and I are advancing the kingdom. Let me give you an example. G. Campbell Morgan went on to tell this story. He said one time, he said that his wife and his son, little bitty small toddler, they were waiting to get on a bus. Little small kid, she's standing there. The, the fog is unbelievable in London. So here they are waiting at a bus stop. And, and, and the little boy gets on the bus and something happens and she gets turned around and the bus just takes off and goes. And it has a little toddler, it has a little boy on the bus. And she's screaming, chasing, trying to holler and get the bus to stop. And the bus won't stop. Now G. Campbell Morgan asked this. He said, who do you think was more troubled at that moment? Who? The mom. Any mother would know that. The mom would be more troubled. He went on to make this statement. He says that the Great Commission is, is God's rescue operation. It is God advancing His kingdom. So who suffers more? The mom suffers. And let me ask you this. She eventually got her child back. Who do you think rejoiced more? Mom. G. Campbell Morgan went on to say this. He said this prayer is a rescue operation in which God has brought us in and said, I have lost my children. Bring them back. So when you and I walk into the office, when we walk into the classroom, when we go into the factory, when we're in the home, wherever we are, we are in the business of spreading the territory of God through the Great Commission, and you can't and I can't do that without sharing our faith on an ongoing, daily, 24, 7 days a week. We can't do it. Let me illustrate this further. This is so critical that imagine right now if someone were to come up to this building and to walk into that door and scream and say, we can't find Tiana. We can't find Tiana Harper nowhere. Now, first of all, nobody would react quicker than she would and he would back there. Immediately they would be on their feet. A gasp would come across this congregation and all of us, some of these men would begin, to, our deacons, and some of these men would jump to their feet and all of a sudden we would begin to span out across this parking lot, across this neighborhood. We would stop traffic in Raymond Road. We would bring this community to a standstill. We would demand that Jackson JPD be here. We would bring the attention of WLBT. We would bring the attention of news agencies. We would do whatever we had to do because we would have to find Tiana. Where is she? And we would grasp hands and join hands and we would move out and our primary objective would be to rescue Tiana.
Well, let me ask you something. First of all, imagine that one of us down on the ball field finds Tiana. All of a sudden, we look, and Daryl Shears coming up there, he and Tanya, and they're just shouting, We found her! We found her! She was down on the ball field! We got her! And they'd be just shouting and holding her up, running up here, celebrating. Who do you think would be the most thankful? Oh, Stephen Malena would reach and take that little child out of Daryl and Tanya's arms and go, Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then they'd look at Daryl and Tanya and say, Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. That's thy kingdom come. Jesus said, You and I are involved in that. I know it's difficult. I know people don't want to hear it. I know people ridicule. I know people mock. I know people don't care. I know people act like, listen, you take that and take it somewhere else. But it's our responsibility that we are to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. There's nothing that grieves the heart of this pastor more than that thing right there staying empty. When there's no water in the baptistry, I think sometimes that the problem has been is the screen and everything else clutters the view of the baptistry. Maybe the senior adults were right when they warned we need to be careful. Nothing, not worship, not announcements, not the latest technology can erase Anything more, nothing can erase the primary responsibility of this church, and that is winning lost people to Christ. When was the last time you shared your faith with anybody? When was the last time that you gave a track and you said, listen, would you take this and read it? My friend, that is the only reason God did not end it yesterday. Because He won't end it until all of His family are home. And that's what He's called us to do. And so Jesus says, Father, hallowed be Your name. And I know we've got to close. Your kingdom come. It's about God. He says, listen, give us each day our daily bread. Boy, that's simple, isn't it? Man, we get so caught up in need. We want to talk about need. We, oh, God, let me, bring up, let me bring you up to date on all my needs. Boy, I got a lot today, God. Hang on, God. Here it comes. Marriage, parenting, finances. Hang on, God, I got some more. Jesus said, when it comes to your need and my need, listen how quick it is. Give us this day what? Listen to this. I love what one writer said. Give me this day enough bread to keep me sustained so I can advance your kingdom. Wow. Just give me enough bread to get me through this day so I can advance the kingdom. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. That is a life... Everybody look this way. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. 
Went into my prayer closet one day. Some of you will remember. Went into my prayer closet one day. Said, God, it's me. You ever do that? You ever walk in and go, God, it's me. I blew it again. Boy, God, I feel so bad. God, I bet you get tired of hearing me. And I bet you get tired of this same old dog and pony show. And God, I'm, I'm still battling this area. And God, I know I'm just so ashamed. I just, oh God, I don't know why you even put up with me. You ever have those kind of prayer times with God? And, 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 and just in the prayer closet, just, it was just God just saying, say the Lord's Prayer. So out loud, just felt impressed in the Spirit, I just began to say, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. And it's like a hand in the closet that says, stop. Jesus tells us, listen to this, every time you and I pray, he says, we're probably going to have to ask for forgiveness. Isn't that what he meant? He said, listen, when you pray, pray this. Forgive us our trespasses. Undoubtedly, he knew that as, as, as tough it is, as it is living in this world, in this fallen world that we're living in, that this is going to be an ongoing struggle in the life of every believer. And what he's saying is, and remember this, when you pray, ask for forgiveness because you're probably going to need it. And then forgive those people around you. Let me, let me read this and then we'll close. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now this, in this culture, people could do this. Okay, you could do this. This was expected. This was all right. And it was unheard of to reject somebody who was asking for help. So here Jesus says, you have a friend, and the friend says, lend to me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked. All my children are with me asleep in bed, because all of them would sleep on a common mat, sometimes a whole family on one mat. I've seen this in Africa. I can't get up and give you anything, because I don't want to wake up these children. I tell you, Jesus said that though he, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's what? His boldness. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and that word is Iteo. Ask, keep asking, don't give up, keep knocking. Keep asking. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek Zeteo. Zeteo. Keep, keep seeking and you will find. Knock. Cruo. Keep knocking in the Greek. And watch this. The door will be open. Boldness, persistent, patient prayer that doesn't give up. That's what God hears. That's what he hears. And I'm afraid for so many of us that we see God as some grumpy, sleepy, fumbling out of the bed, sovereign creator who is reluctant and irritated by our prayers. Sometimes I'm afraid we've given up. 
God puts something on our heart. God puts something on your heart. God lays something deep within your soul. Or there's something that you've been praying about in your marriage, in your home, with your children, with your spouse, with your neighbor, at your workplace, wherever it is, with your finances or whatever, and you and I give up too quickly. And Jesus said, listen, never give up. Never give up. When men quit, when they give up, when women give up, then the enemy wins the battle. Never give up. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and don't give up. Your God is not a grumpy, uh, out of sorts, irritable, angry, frustrated with you, getting out of bed, reluctantly giving you what you want. He is a gracious and loving God, and He's drawing a contrast here. And then He goes on to say, and we'll close with this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, every parent knows what I'm talking about here, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, you and I do not have to be afraid of God's answer. It is always for our good. Wow. Did you hear that? I think sometimes we give up or I think sometimes we don't pray because we're afraid of the answer of God. What Jesus was saying, He was drawing a contrast here. He's saying, listen, if you fathers know how to love and give to your children, He said, God knows how much more. You don't have to fear the answer of God. You can trust God. God's answer to your prayer and my prayer will always be for our good. And you can believe that. One writer said this, he said, we, he says, sometimes the passage such as this one becomes a blank check, but a blank check for the necessities of the spiritual life and the spiritual well-being. This is why Jesus says, and He'll give the Holy Spirit. He's talking about, He's talking about here, when you and I are filled and guided by the Holy Spirit, it will affect our prayer life. Listen, if you and I are filled and under the control of the Holy Spirit, and we are praying about something, who put it there? God did. And this is the reason that we don't give up. God somehow has enlisted us into this rescue operation and it's by prayer and the Great Commission. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we thank You so much that You love us. We thank You so much that You care about us, Lord. And You have such a will and a purpose and a direction for our lives. God, as we spoke a moment ago about little Tiana, dear Lord, we we realize, dear Lord, that there are so many men and women, boys and girls that, dear Lord, have that are not in the body of believers. They're not a part of the ecclesia, the church, dear Lord. They're lost. They're like sheep that have gone astray. God, some of them are in our own families. Some of them are friendships. Some of them are people that we work with the day in and day out.
come in and out of our lives. Some of them are classes that we teach and students that are held in bondage to the enemy. Some of them are the faces that we see up and down the hallways of a, of a school. Some of them are those people that, dear Lord, are defeated and discouraged and their lives are completely out of fellowship with you and they don't even know you. Dear Lord, in New York City is that man holding his Bible open while the people in the streets were taunting and laughing and mocking and making fun. Dear Lord, my heart went out to them as well as to him. Because, dear Lord, there will come that day when they, each one of those people, will either lay on a bed and they'll be dying or they'll come that day when, God, you will take your church home. And if those people don't repent and give their heart and life to you, dear Lord, they are separated from you. Why did you choose that? No, God, they did. It's a decision that every man, woman, boy, and girl will make sometime in their life. Father, I know, dear Lord, in our day that people don't want to hear it. I know there's a generic God, a genetic, generic spirit today that people just think we're all going to somehow end up there. We can just take whatever route we want to. But Lord, that's not what the Scripture says. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would not grow weary in well-doing. That we would be about this great commission. That, dear Lord, we would join hands and begin to reach out into this community and these streets and across this city. Father, as we begin to re-implement our visitation, as we begin to allow men like Reggie and Steve and Ledge and myself to lead these teams that will go out every week, each week, taking the gospel, Dear Lord, may you use that to bring people into the kingdom. I pray, dear Lord, today in this room, that for the men and women and young people in this room, that you would begin to lay on their hearts somebody, someone that does not know you. That, dear Lord, you would begin to burden their hearts so that, dear Lord, they could not help but go and sit down and say, listen, I'm here to tell you. I know the world didn't end on May 21st, but I know it will one day. And if it doesn't end, I know this, one day you're going to die. And the world for you will end. Are you ready to stand before the Creator of the world? Father, would you speak to us? Give us a burden for lost people. Give Sunday school teachers a burden to contact their classes and to correspond and phone and card and letter, whatever it may be. A visit, dear Lord. Speak to us. Burden our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If God has spoken to your heart today, maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to come. Speak to one of our counselors. Find out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Maybe it's to come down to one of these counselors and say, listen, God put somebody on my heart. I've spoken to him a lot of times. I'm kind of tired of speaking to him. But God put them on my heart this morning and I need you to pray with me. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me about this person? That God will give me an opportunity this week to speak to them about their soul. Would you do that? You come. As our praise team leads us, you come right now.